Hey guys, and welcome back to the Cube of Mecca. In this episode, I'm talking to Leanne Butterworth. Now, Leanne Butterworth is the founder of Lose Your Mind VR, which is a company that uses virtual reality technology to help people understand what it's like to suffer from a mental illness and go into psychosis. Lose Your Mind uses this experience to teach people empathy and how to better understand and interact with someone that's suffering from a mental illness. Welcome. Welcome to the Cube, Leanne. Thank you very much. Right, so Leanne, you're the founder of Lose Your Mind VR. I am indeed. Do you want to tell me just a little bit about what that is and what you guys are trying to achieve? So, in a nutshell, the elevator pitch for Lose Your Mind is that we use virtual reality simulations of what it's like to have a mental illness and we use that to um, tap into an emotional experience in people mm -hmm. so that they have a greater empathy and understanding for those who might be struggling with their mental health. Mm -hmm. um, we then couple that with a mental health literacy workshop that teaches people how to not only be receptive if somebody says that they are struggling, but also how to be proactive and loving and kind if somebody looks like they might be struggling. So how to reach out to somebody who is showing some signs yep. and we teach people what those signs are. Um, but how to be curious and loving and use non-stigmatizing language in both being receptive to someone who is struggling and getting them some help without going, you should see a counsellor, yeah. um, to if someone just looks off, how do you support them? Mm -hmm. Now, the relationships that we look at are like a subordinate relationship. So a teacher might have relationships with students. They might have relationships with other teachers, but then we also talk about self-care and how to um, be really careful of your own mental health when you are having really difficult conversations. Right. And and you use virtual reality as a tool to, mm. to have these conversations and to let people have the, the experience yeah, of it. Yeah, absolutely. So we, what we don't want is for people to come out of the experience going, well, that was interesting, yeah. is we want to hit them in the heart and go, whoa. Mm. I couldn't function for six minutes. How do I expect someone to get through the day? Because we, some of the activities that we do actually involve people becoming vulnerable and telling someone what they just experienced. Yep. So, yeah, it's that it's not as easy as people think. Yep. So it's going, okay, that must be, I couldn't, how can I be of service? Um, so it's really sort of tapping into that emotion of going, well, I made you vulnerable and paranoid and uncomfortable. Mm. What did you want to do in that moment? What did you need? And most people give responses that are exactly the same as everybody else. Everybody wants to be heard. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to be reassured. Everybody wants to feel visible and valid and valued. Um, but some of the activities that we do, we go, okay, well, we want you to listen to someone who's struggling and everybody wants to fix. Yeah. And there's a really big disconnection there. So we talk a lot about connection. We talk a lot about um, how to make someone feel connected and valued, visible, heard. So it's not so much about having an interesting experience. It's having a really uncomfortable experience going, what did I need in that moment? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's how we use um, the virtual reality. So I created um, a simulation of psychosis based on symptoms mm 
mm-hmm. that I had researched. Um, and by recreating that and putting a lot in it, we get an emotional response. We make people stressed. And mm. I made you stressed, you fogged up my goggles. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it is, it's very interesting because I, I just had the experience, the Lose Your Mind virtual reality experience. And it's something where you kind of say, okay, I know this is going for six minutes and I know it's going to stop, but it would be very hard to function in any way and think about anything else if you didn't know that that was going to stop. Oh, for sure. And it kept coming back. Absolutely. And there are people who don't finish the experience. They don't mm. get through it. They go, Mm-mm, I'm out. No, thank you very much. Yeah. You can keep that. Yeah. And you go, well, okay, let's take that a step further. You can take it off. You never have to see me again. You never have to see that video again. You mm. can take it off. Someone who is struggling, now whether it's with psychosis or any other mental health disorder, they can't just take it off. They can't just click their fingers and go, mm. I'm done. Thank you very much. That was fun. So by taking it off and going, Oh, that's right. I can take it off. So it's really going into that empathetic space of going, oh, how, how awful must it be? And how awful was it for me? And making the connection between the two. Yeah. And what is like, the main goal that you want people to, uh, from the experience, when they leave, you know, and they go yeah. about their daily lives? What's like the one objective... So what I want from people is really to recognise that it's not as easy as we think. We can't sort of say, oh, you should just ignore the voices. So by, I guess, if we look big and reduce it small. So big scale is, I don't want anybody to feel alone. I I don't want anybody to go through what I went through. Um, and I don't want anybody to feel as alone, isolated as what I did. Now, in order to get people help they need to talk in order to talk they need to feel safe Mm -hmm. so my goal with all of this is to create an army of safe spaces where people go hey i don't know what to say i'm really glad you told me let's figure this out yeah so as opposed to you should just see a counselor so there might be two very similar outcomes that person who is struggling may still see a counselor Mm -hmm. but it's a very different feeling a very different connection to say hey i'm so glad you told me let's see what we can do or let let's go for a walk or let's go sit under a tree or let's look up what services are available Mm. as opposed to you should just get some exercise so it's that creating safe spaces of people who go okay what did i need in that moment it's exactly the same as everybody around them. Yeah. And, and what was it that led you to kind of go down this path and create and, and want to create these safe spaces and yeah. let people experience this? What, what was it in your... So it, it wasn't as logical as I would have liked it, mm-hmm. but uh, the development of it um, was a little, bit, a little bit random, but I'll tell you about that in a second. But the more I do this, the more I draw on my own experience of... I had postnatal depression. Mm-hmm. Now, my postnatal depression wasn't diagnosed until my daughter uh, it was right before her third birthday. And in my head, it started the day I got pregnant with her. So mm-hmm. that's three years and nine months. And mine didn't come out necessarily as being sad, although I did cry. Mine came out as um, postnatal pissed off. And I was raging. Yep. Like I was this ball of rage and stress and resentment. 
um, from the moment I opened my eyes to the moment I closed my eyes and then each time I woke during the night. So for me as well, it would present as this uncontrollable weeping. So I'd be driving along in the car and just weeping. Um, and I remember once being on the kitchen floor in this ball on the kitchen floor with a two-year-old and a three-year-old rubbing my back going, it's okay, mummy, we're sorry, mummy, mummy, what can we do to make yeah. it better? And so for me, because everybody around me dismissed it as going, oh, it's normal. The days are long, the years are short, we all get through it. Um, it sucks for everybody. You're really lucky you've got two healthy children. Um, at least you're not like a fly-in, fly-out wife, like Paul only works up the street. So everybody around me dismissed it. And so in that experience then, when I was diagnosed and my GP went, oh, look, I think this is bigger than us. Let's, let's get you some help. My, I mean, the fear is if it hadn't been diagnosed, what might have happened? Yeah. Because you hear about women who hurt their children. Everybody goes, ooh, how could that happen? You go, no, no, I could see that happening. I probably would have stopped myself. I don't know. But would I have hurt them or would I have hurt myself? Mm. So the other part of it is not only the people around me, but also myself. Well, I shouldn't feel this way. I had two all-natural water births. Paul just works up the street. I shouldn't be feeling this way. I should be grateful for every moment. Yeah. And so because I, I was so confused and it wasn't a discussion that... I mean, my kids are only six and eight. We're only talking five years mm. ago. So what I want to do is to get that discussion out there um, so that people go, oh, look, there is a vulnerability plus a stress Every single one of us, doesn't matter who you are, has a tipping point. Mm. If we get those around us listening, if we get them including, if we get them connecting, maybe there's going to be a lesser incidence of delayed diagnosis and all the bad things that go along yeah. with that. Yeah. And see, mental illness is such a relative thing. Like it, it doesn't, it almost doesn't even bring into account some of the surroundings that you have. You see it a lot with celebrities, mm -hmm. people that we look up to that seemingly have everything and mm -hmm. you just wonder, oh, like, how could you? And I think that we put that onto ourselves too if we're, if we're doing it. Like, how can I be upset? I have a company. Oh, absolutely. You know, like, you know, and, but everything's relative. I read an interesting uh, book the other day that mentioned that 100 years ago we were living in what we'd call now mostly impoverished conditions so yeah. we'll all be living in poverty but we were happier 100 yeah. years ago than we are today that in itself doesn't make sense for the argument that we inflict on ourselves and our friends that are suffering from this yeah but also i mean the the crucial piece of what we talk about in our workshops in the mental health literacy workshops is everybody has a vulnerability so whether your mum had the flu in the second trimester that leads to a vulnerability um or if your mum witnessed something traumatic or just a genetic predisposition there's a or childhood trauma or abuse or neglect things like that there's a lot that goes into each individual um that they have absolutely zero control over mm. so you and i sitting here we can't account for every day of um our mother's pregnancy mm -hmm. there's also epigenetics research at the moment that's looking at the impact of trauma and stress on the father and around the time of conception 
right. and what impact that has. So we all walk around with these vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. We then add stress into that. Now, quite often when we think about stress, it's the addition of something negative. Okay, so um, a car accident, the yep. addition of something negative. But we forget that stress can also be the addition of something positive, having a baby, getting married, exams. Mm. These are all good things, but they can actually overload the system. Puberty, it's natural and there's lots of brain changes going on. But also it can be social isolation Mm. and disconnection is a stress. And that's what we're kind of bringing on ourselves. So that hypervigilance, that that increased cortisol level that we all have at the moment, we're all sort of functioning on that level of go, 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 I'm always connected. If you've got a vulnerability plus a stress, that puts every single one of us at risk. Mm. So I don't know what my vulnerability was, but I know that it was like a cocktail of social isolation, um, brain changes in the in the new mother, um, lack of sleep. Um, a lot of doctors now uh, report, uh, I think it's like that, 30% of doctors report psychotic symptoms because of lack of sleep and overstress. Mm. Um, but again, that's temporary. Um, but for me, that was the cocktail that set it all off. And you would sort of go, well, I brought it on myself because I had a baby. Mm. You know what I mean? It it doesn't work that way yet we do that with a lot of people around us we sort of go well you did this you brought it on yourself so yeah it's looking for that vulnerability plus stress piece that everybody has and just seems to be amplified at the moment yeah absolutely and and how did you kind of go down the path of using vr as a tool yeah so so i was um actually working with a a small non-profit that deals with um, youth mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, so back in 2016, I um, was doing a little bit of work for them and they went, we need to do something for World Mental Health Week. And I went, okay. So when I was looking at what they'd done previously, they'd done things in literal boxes where they put someone in a box on the Queen Street Mall for 44 hours and... And I went, well, okay, so let's look at the concept of a, a box. Um, what if we used a box? What if we um, had people do like a year three math test or origami, something like that, and then use distractions? But I was looking at a physical box. And I talked to some friends of mine who went, well, let's make the box smaller. So essentially that's what we did is we compacted the box and we looked at augmented reality, we looked at... Um, virtual reality which is sort of ca- it can be cartoony mm-hmm. and what we landed on was a 360 degree video which is what you experience so you could look all around the room yeah. you're not and the task is listening to the teacher give a talk mm. so you're sitting in a classroom you're listening to a teacher give a talk and at the end I asked what the talk was about so most people, and I'm not going to ask you because you might say it on air and we don't want to. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but most people get it wrong. Yeah. And it's when you listen back, you go, that's actually really easy. Yeah. But because I've made you stressed and I've messed with your short-term memory, it actually mm. becomes quite a difficult task. Um, so that's ultimately what it became. And it was only ever meant for World Mental Health Week back in 2016. 
But then the traction that it got, I was like, ooh, this could be, this has something. There's something there. Um, in 2017, I developed the mental health literacy workshop in an early form. Um, and then I put it all on hold for a year um, and came back to uni. So I actually came back to QUT for a year last year um, and then got it off the nonprofit at the start of this year. Um, so now it's, it's mine. Yep. Um, and so as of this year, it's the beginning of 2019, ran a couple of more workshops, um, got a big contract to run 18 workshops in 10 days, and now I'm sort of on the back of that trying to, I guess, build this and have the greatest impact that I possibly can. But that's sort of the, the journey in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, of how you got there. It's, it's very interesting to kind of go from a literal box to a virtual box mm-hmm. <laughs> and how it changes. And what do you, and the experience that you have in the virtual reality, why do you think that it's more powerful than okay, just a normal video and headphones? I mean, I know it is because I've experienced it. Yep. What, what do you reckon it is about the kind of virtual reality box, let's call it, that you can go into that, that is so powerful for showing people? Yeah, well, I mean, the thing about humans is, we're not as smart as we think we are. So there aren't many people who can sit back in a really third person detached, oh, this is interesting. Mm. Most people go into a first, per- the brain tricks them and goes into a first person experience of it. Um, same as watching, I guess, a scary movie. Yeah. Is we go into or any movie really, we cry and we know that they're actors on the screen, but we're still crying, we're still flinching. Yep. So it's exactly the same here is because I'm actually making you distracted with things that are not very nice. Mm. It's not a horror flick by any stretch of the imagination, but the brain believes what it's being told. Yeah. So by making you afraid and making you confused and paranoid like some people go okay what's going to happen next i've got to be on edge and so by getting that stress response up you fogged up my goggles and i got got your heart rate up (laughs) but that cortisol response in itself has an impact on memory Mm. so by unpacking it all and going okay what response did you have and what did you need that we can really tap into that empathy and understanding and human connection that makes us all the mm. same really yeah it's it's interesting i actually uh, i never did the experience but i talked to someone from dementia australia yes. that had a vr experience too uh, to try and help because it's so hard to people think that dementia is forgetting something yeah but dementia can be shadows on a wall turning into people absolutely and, you know like because it's your brain not being able to mm-hmm. comprehend and reaching at a conclusion and so these tools, I think, are so powerful in helping us understand. Is your goal in doing this, is your goal to help the general public yes. have conversations? Is it also to help kind of the professionals yes. in the space? Oh, look, this has such wide-reaching um, impact. Mm. Uh, the, like I said, I just ran 18 workshops in Iowa, in the USA. Wow. I ran 18 workshops in 10 days. And we had over 200 people in these workshops and it was everybody from police, nurses, parents, psychiatrists, 
um, psychologists, crisis workers, uh, firefighters, just everybody, magistrates. Mm. And they were all in these rooms going, okay, how can I do this better? And they all watched exactly the same video. Mm. So the context of the video really didn't seem to matter. It was the emotional reaction that all of them had and went, how can I do this better? Now, some of them, because I'm, I'm mid-data collection at the moment, some of them have gone away and said, look, I'm having different conversations with my students. So teachers, guidance officers, mm-hmm. school police officers. Um, I'm having different conversations with the people in my care because we talk about not using the word deal with or these people we -hmm. talk about that sort of language so saying that they're having those different relationships and those different conversations so they've changed a behavior based on their experience with me Um, people who've said that their co-workers are now opening up to them a little bit more and they Mm. sort of instead of going into mr fix-it mode they go into okay i'm okay let's just i'm here to listen I don't need to fix, I need to connect, I need to listen, I need to lift, I need to support. Um, people who've said that they've given themselves a break. People who've said that, oh, I just went home and hugged my kid. Mm. Like, I think one lady, she was um, like a school counsellor, but she said, my son has a mental health disorder and I feel like I can connect with him on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. And so that's not specific to a profession because one of the things that, we have to remind people because a lot of people walk into the room in their profession how can i do my job better and a lot of the police officers are like that how can i do my job better Mm -hmm. and we kind of have to deprogram people and go no 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 you be a human first and your role second yeah so when they start to think in that sort of mindset they don't go into Mr. Fix-It mode, they go into, okay, I just need to listen to this human who is struggling. Mm. Then we can fix it. Because people, when they start to think more about the human first, role second, they connect first, and then they look at the people around them, who else they could connect with, and who else is struggling. So we had some of the women in the, in the workshops whose mum was struggling. Mm. And even giving them permission to go, look, you don't have to be responsible for her care. You have to take care. You're allowed to take care of yourself as well. Mm. And that kind of... Because they'd, they'd come in in a psychologist capacity. How do I help my, how do I help my clients better? Mm. I'm like, no, no, no. You're allowed to help yourself. You're allowed to help her without losing yourself. So... Yeah, I mean, people who are crisis workers who'd come in and one girl just wept because she goes, is that what my brother went through? Mm. You know what I mean? Like the lady who flew me over to Iowa, her name's Kelly. She's a mental health advocate and has been for 30 years. Um, So really standing up for people who don't have the capacity to stand up for themselves at that time. But her son, Zach, um, huge Iowa Hawkeyes fan as... Yeah, the Iowa Hawkeyes jumper on right now. I got my Iowa Hawkeyes <laughs> jumper on. But Zach had struggled with bipolar for six years. Yeah. And the fact that he didn't accept it as a diagnosis, everybody around him saw it as a personality flaw. He was just being a dick. 
Um, so they abandoned him. They didn't know how to talk to him. They didn't know how to embrace him. He felt alone and he actually took his own life. Mm. Um, and so for Kelly to sit in a room, she's been a mental health advocate for 30 years. She has seen everything. But for her to sit in a room of people who, are, who became more accepting of Zach and his story... I mean, she tells a story. We talk about one of the symptoms of psychosis is disconnected and disordered thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and putting things together that really have no business going together. And that's just how the brain's trying to make sense of its world. And so Kelly shared a story in these workshops of her son, Zach, dro- driving home, looking down at his phone. His car sort of went off the shoulder of the road just a little bit. He'd seen um, some paper on the ground on the side of the road. Whether those two things happened at the same time, we don't know. And then his grandmother had showed him an obituary of a farmer who had died. Zach put those three elements together and connected the dots and came home one Thanksgiving and said, I've killed somebody and felt the anguish. He was curled up in a chair um, mm. in front of the fireplace, going, rocking backwards and forth and feeling the anguish. I've killed somebody. And this is a kid who's right into sports. He loves everybody. Loveliest kid. So that thought. So he connected these three events in his mind. So he'd driven Mm -hmm. off the side of the road, seen the mail spilled. He hit the farmer who was collecting his mail, spilled the mail. And so even when they looked at the obituary to say he died of a heart attack on his farm, these three things are not connected. Mm. His brain kept, kept connecting them again. Yeah. So he would go back out to his car and check the bumper. So Kelly didn't know how to, I guess, understand that. They, she was still coming at it from a logical point of view. Mm. Whereas we tell people there is no logic. It's just sitting with it and acknowledging the anguish, not acknowledging the, the thoughts or the symptoms as such. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, everybody has something to gain from um, learning how to talk to people mm-hmm. in a loving, kind, empathetic way. And I guess one of the, the differences, because um, I've, I've looked at the dementia one, and it's beautiful. Mm. It's beautiful. Uh, and it's so useful. And there's a couple of, there's a virtual one and there's a real one, and they're wonderful. But the difference... And there's an autism one as well. Mm. But to me, the difference is, personally, I don't necessarily interact. I don't have a need yet for the dementia stuff. I don't have a need for the autism stuff. But the garden variety mental health disorders that are around, Mm. we don't want you to diagnose we don't it's kind of not your business at this stage yeah we just want you to lean in you're not trying to train someone how to be a professional you're no. trying to help them become more empathetic absolutely to, to, to it and understand that they they actually don't need to fix it and diagnose it they can just that's be, not your responsibility yeah because i mean there are so many studies out there now um one was one's actually an interview with a guy who had tried to take his own life mm. And he said, 
oh, look, I get what people were trying to do with their action plans and their helplines and their pamphlets. Mm-hmm. That's not what I needed in that moment. I needed to feel important. I needed to feel connected. I needed to feel like if I was gone, you would miss me. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to. I didn't want to be flick past to a helpline or an action plan. I wanted. I needed connection, and I think that's the underlying thing at the moment is that takes vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people are kind of afraid to get it wrong, so they make it someone else's problem. But we're like, there's nothing to get wrong. If you say, I don't know what to say, but I'm really glad you told me, and mm. this is important to me. Quite often that can be enough. You know yeah. what I mean? Not go into Mr. Fix-It mode. Yeah. No, definitely. And what do you see as next steps for Lose Your Mind? Where, where do you guys want to... Where do you ultimately see, see yourselves going and taking this tool? Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of different things that are milling around in my head at the moment that I've got... Um, a market for as such so the first one is yes um, workshops where it's uh, a facilitator and a clinical psych um, I would like to I guess make some of that remote so mm-hmm. that um, let's say I mean I've got meetings coming up with all sorts of people so let's say the Department of Justice go okay we want this for all of our youth workers, all of our support workers. So people who don't have a background in mental mm. health training mm-hmm. um, but could use a little bit more empathy and understanding because, I mean, let's say youth workers, for example, or detention workers, mm. they've got a kid who's... It doesn't matter if it's drug-induced psychosis or bipolar garden-variety psychosis. You've still got an individual who is afraid. Yep. They come in and they're put in a box. They're manhandled. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's say it's that population that we're going to train. My goal is to build relationships with those employers, workplaces, communities to go, we're going to offer this as a service, as a workshop for our staff. Um, And do that in a way that we can use an online platform coupled with um, a live, I call them the ringmaster, a live ringmaster who can go, (laughs) okay, you said this, you said this, let's connect these dots. Um, potentially some filmed content. Uh, So using that model in a couple of different scenarios. So one would be, uh, so police, for example, or a workplace. So a high-stress workplace, a workplace full of lawyers who need to learn how to empathise better with the stress of those around them, but also of themselves. Mm. That there is that vulnerability plus stress piece, that it's not a, a failing Mm. So looking at models within workplaces, looking at models within, um, I guess, acute stress, but also looking at a model where students can teach students. Yeah. My mind all like immediately kind of goes to schools too. Mm-hmm. You know, high school mm-hmm. was a troubled time for me and I, I know a lot of other people, you know, having knowing how to deal with someone that is suffering yeah. from a mental illness in high school. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's one of the things that I'm developing mm. is a workshop package that doesn't include the VR itself yep. um, because nobody under 18 is allowed to do that. Um, 
but looking at other activities, other empathy activities, other personal connection activities, and then using students to teach students. Mm. So, and looking at that as a remote downloadable package that a teacher would facilitate um, and that my platform would deliver as such. Mm. Um, And really tap into, because, I mean, there was a Mission Australia report, the Youth Survey report, uh, 2016, 2017, said kids are more likely to talk to their friends. And if you've got a population of friends who are going, yeah, you're crazy. Mm. and you've got kids who aren't willing to talk and feel disconnected, there's a huge fallout from there. So within a school population, if you can upskill the teachers, not just have teachers go, "Eh, too hard, go to the guidance officer. So if you can upskill a population of teachers, upskill the principal, upskill the guidance officer, so everybody's a safe space, and then upskill the kids. Mm. So the around I guess year 10-ish when their brains are starting to realise that they're not the centre of the universe um, <laughs> I think I was about year 12 yeah. so I had that realisation yeah. <laughs> I mean it's fascinating the brain changes yeah. in there and it, we're not asking kids to diagnose we're not asking kids to go well that's just part of normal adolescent development or that's not it's no 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 if someone's struggling teaching them how to be okay with just listening and supporting and taking care of themselves as well in that moment. Mm. So why did why Iowa? Why did you go to, um, to Iowa? So it was really it was really interesting. So Kelly Yegi, who I just said, whose son died in mm. August of 2017, she made it her mission, and she wanted his life not to be for nothing. Yeah. And so she made it her mission to find anti-stigma training so innovative Mm. anti-stigma training and so she found me in the minutes of a meeting that I had presented in I think I was at Strathpine Mm -hmm. and so she found me buried in these minutes and went I want that and I want it here so then she and I had been talking sort of on and off for 18 months essentially Mm. and then six weeks before Star Wars Day so six weeks before May the 4th she goes right I've got this money. We've been given a grant. You're coming to Iowa. And we both sort of went, holy shit. Um, <laughs> all right, let's make this happen. So we worked our asses off for six weeks. Yeah. To She booked 18 workshops. She booked drop-in sessions. She petitioned left, right, and center to get um, bums on seats mm. in these workshops. Um And used all of her connections. And so we booked flights. And then there were issues left right and center because it's not as straightforward as i would like it to be but just issues with visas and issues with insurance Mm. and you know like all that logistical yeah i just want to change the world yeah um (laughs) why are you making it so hard yeah exactly (laughs) but yeah i got on a plane on may the 4th and went sort of brisbane auckland houston des moines like it's not straightforward that bit either um and so, yeah, she just decided because she had blamed so a lot of Zach's death on stigma, on mm. people around him abandoning him, on him not understanding, on the people around him, him not participating fully in his care because he's like, eh, I'm fine. Mm. Didn't want to be seen as not fine. Yeah. Um, that she went, no, no, no. 
this needs to happen. And when I went over there, it was the most amazing experience, but their system is not conducive to... It's a really, really difficult, difficult system. Um, and I think a lot of us in Australia have this idea of what the American medical system is. Mm. And yeah, I saw some of that firsthand where people, like we take it for granted, you're sick, you go to the doctor. Yeah. Like we've got a tent, like, I mean, our psych, everything could be better in this country in terms of mental health and things like that. But they see Australia as this pinnacle of, there's a lot of research coming out of Australia and there's a lot of innovative stuff coming out of Australia. Mm. Um, But some of the downfalls over there of mismanagement of people. So... I heard stories of women who, if they were in my, like if I was in my position, but in Iowa, my outcomes would have been very, very different. Mm -hmm. And I remember speaking to one just beautiful police officer who told me a story of his niece and I was weeping, Mm. going, that could have been me. Mm -hmm. And just total mismanagement. so and she sees it firsthand like kelly sees it firsthand over there and goes look we need to have we need to break the stigma i mean her hashtag is hashtag break the stigma um and everything that she does is in i guess zach's honor um and that's why that's why iowa and the the feedback that we've gotten out of those workshops has just been Oh, for me, just gut-wrenching, heartbreaking, exciting. Like people who are saying that they're having different conversations and that they feel different and that they have a better understanding and um, and just so positive about they want me to come back. And I'm like, well, I need to figure out how to virtually <laughs> come back. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was a very long way away and I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. But... I guess just that validation that what I'm doing, it works and that there is a market there, especially if we create something in the student space because mm. um, nobody talks like this over there. Nobody talks about empathy. Like Brene Brown is probably the only one and yeah, she's starting to get big. But nobody's actually in people's faces going, no, 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 don't say that. Yeah. There's a lot of great initiatives coming forward and and some very entrepreneurial ones like yourself, but also I think it's Trademark. Oh, I love Trademark. Yeah, which is great, which is a high-coloured work shirt to bring awareness of mental health. I really feel like there is a big push. Yeah. And I feel like it's different than what it has been. It's not just the, the signs in the men's bathroom saying that, yeah. you need help it's kind of something it's, it's a very much more personable human yeah and I feel like th- that's what everyone's working towards yeah that's the way forward <laughs> well I've actually talked to the trademark guys they're um, they're up for an award on Monday in the men's hunt- mental health space and I love them like I, I my kids <laughs> have their shirts and I I love them but it's almost like they're in the just talk space mm-hmm. just talk and I'm in the just listen space yep you know what I mean? Because yeah. there doesn't seem to be a lot on how to listen with love and mm. kindness. There's lots of action plan-y stuff and lots mm. of get your friends some help um, and you should call a helpline and you should... You know what I mean? There's lots of yeah. onus on the individual to... Provide solutions and... Yeah, or to, <laughs> to find their own solutions, essentially. Yeah. Um, 
and the support is very logical, pragmatic. Yeah. But we're in that, no, 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 no. Just take it back a step. Mm-hmm. Just even before you find the pamphlet, just take a moment to think, what did you need when you were vulnerable? Mm-hmm. That's what they need. And it doesn't matter how they came to that point. Mm. Because even if it's a drug-induced thing, they didn't come there on their best day going, hey, I'm going to smoke a pillowcase full of weed and piss everyone off today. Yeah, That's not how that happens. There is a vulnerability that, that happens there that we want people to understand and feel empathy for and go, okay, mm. there's some stuff that's going on that... Because a lot of people, after they do my experience, they go, I go, what do you want? And people go, I want a nap. I just want a moment. I just want to... Yeah, I just need to have a little moment by myself. And then some people primarily in the afternoon sessions, going, oh, I could go a drink. (laughs) Like, a smoke would be great. (laughs) You go, well, why is that? To calm my nerves, to make me forget that. And you go, well, yes. Mm. People who, like, the there's a stat in the States at the moment, the undiagnosed psychosis is sitting at 74 weeks. I tell you what, you had that for what, three to six minutes. Yeah. If you had that for 74 weeks, I'm pretty sure some things that make stuff go away would be looking like a good option by then. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, and it's very interesting. I, I, I think something that I'm interested in with VR is that it, I mean, is you've identified that it's such a powerful tool in helping other people understand mm-hmm. mental illness. Do you think that it can also be a tool into kind of solving uh, or helping someone get, get through the mental illness? Um, there are people who are looking in that space. Yeah. And there's a lot of work that's going on in that space. Um, things like desensitization and phobias. There's a guy in Melbourne who uh, uses virtual reality for um, flight phobias. Right. Flight phobias. Um, and so there is a lot in that sort of desensitization space. Mm. Um I'm not sure what else is happening in the treatment space because that's not where I sit. I sit sort of at the top of the cliff rather than the bottom of the cliff. Yeah. Um, But there's some really interesting things happening in VR in the social sector. I mean, you've got virtual songlines who are recreating um, the traditional owners of this land and they've done QUT as to what it looked like the week before. Yeah, I saw them at the StarCon. They looked fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. Brett was talking to everybody that day. He's yeah, 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 great. yeah. So, and what's the what's the best step for people listening in to do if they want to embark on a journey of, you know, down the, the mental health understanding pathway? What's the what's the kind of is there anything that you would recommend for them to do? Um. Oh, absolutely. You can engage with us on all social media platforms <laughs> at Lose Your Mind VR. Um, I think for us at the moment, we want to connect with anybody and everybody who is interested in this space. Mm -hmm. So if you're an HR manager who really wants some different innovative training um, for your staff, um, if you are a psychology practice and you want to offer this to your parents, there's things that you can do with us, Mm -hmm. okay? So reach out, look at everything that we do. It's all good fun. Um, But I think as well for individuals who want to be better at connecting it's about listening out for your own internal biases Mm -hmm. do you give people your bag to carry so if you've got someone who has lung cancer the first question we often ask is did they smoke 
And that's a way of distancing. Yeah. Um, and it really doesn't matter. And it's not your business. You've still got a human there who is hurt and sick and needs love and support and kindness. It doesn't matter how they got to that point. So looking out for your own biases, mm-hmm. looking out for language, distancing language that you use. So distancing language such as deal with these people. Um, even some of the stats. So if you talk about one in four, that's quite, that can be quite distancing. Yeah. Um, looking out for words like, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry that's happening to you. Thank hell it isn't happening to me. Yeah. Like really watching out for that. Looking out for words such as should and just. So you should just go for a walk. And then thinking, you know what, if somebody had said to me, you should just, I'd be like, you should just go, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I probably would have, yeah. Um, but looking out for those distancing, looking out for when you feel stressed before a conversation, looking out for words that I guess are almost belittling where you think you're helping, but you're trying to fix and remembering people don't want to be fixed. People want to be heard. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, when you come to the workshops, we're going to know we make you vulnerable and Mm. make you stressed because it's not a one in four thing it's not a it's not a stat it's a every single one of us given enough stress has a vulnerability coupled with that that could tip us over the edge yeah um and it's bringing it back to we all have a vulnerability we all have a stress but we also all have the capacity to listen like that's a superpower that we all have so just building connection um and reducing disconnection because it's at the root of so much Mm. um oh yeah and that's a superpower that we that we all have we just have to practice excellent well thanks so much for coming in leanne i've I've learned a lot (laughs) (laughs) and um yeah thanks for coming in and i look forward to catching up with you in the future and seeing how well it all goes thank you so much